With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to the five-year plan podcast interview series it's our december interview um and joining us this month an absolute legend of a player you'll have seen it already in the title james MacArthur does his first interview first podcast since retiring from palace and we're delighted he joined us to talk about that also with me on the day and here today it's the one and only jack pierce jack how you doing merry christmas season's greetings jim thank you yes happy christmas listener uh season's greetings and uh yeah Delighted this one, it's a, a, a little bit after we recorded with him, so just delighted that we're getting it out for the uh, for the patrons and everyone else, um, hopefully enjoy it around uh, this time of year, and uh, a gift from, from FYP to, to the masses. Yeah, so we recorded this probably start of the season possibly, which is why in one bit he says it's great to see Palace playing really well at the moment, so obviously that will sound jarring, <laughs> but it, it, it's when we asked him about keeping up with Palace, and, and, and unsurprisingly he's a big Palace fan and he still watches Palace and keeps up and texts the boys and stuff, so this was recorded probably September sort yeah, of I time. Think, I think September, yeah. yeah. Yeah, end of September, early October possibly, yeah. but... Yeah, we wanted to have save it and and uh, yeah, release it at the time of year when people people will maybe have a little bit more spare time than they usually do as well. So maybe he was um, so he was freshly retired and uh, was currently sort of uh, working out what he's doing next. We asked him about that. We asked him about next steps for him in in football. Uh, little spoiler: he has plans. Um, we talked about following Palace. There's some brilliant bits on here. I mean, I listened to it yesterday. Um, He's such a thoughtful man. And I will say as well, very organised. Of all these interviews, he's the only one that said, look, I can only do 6.30 on Tuesday. We came on Zoom. He was on. Bang on 6.30. Exactly. He's off the pitch as he was on the pitch. Organised and gets things done. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a uh, wasn't a surprise. He's, uh, yeah, incredibly meticulous. Uh, and and I, you can see why so many people are anticipating that he will, uh, you know, develop a coaching career 
beyond his his playing days. So, um, but it's nice to hear that he's enjoying his time at the moment and and giving himself some time to reflect on his career and, and make proper plans as to what he wants to do moving forward. But lovely guy, really interesting and and, and actually quite surreal to be talking to a, a guy who's had such an incredible impact upon the most recent of Palace's history. Um, you know, you, you talk about the guys that have been that have had the longest impact since promotion. You talk about Wilf and and Joel Ward. Look at the likes of Damien Zaney, Scott Down. Those guys that kind of got us through the initial period after promotion. But but Macca was with us for a really long time. You know, nine seasons and 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 the time he had with the club has clearly left a mark with him. He he talks about the club so fondly and the players that he played with so fondly and the managers he played with so fo- played for so fondly too. So yeah, really enjoyed spending time with him. And as with all these interviews we've done, the hope is that the listener enjoys listening to them as much as we enjoyed doing them. Absolutely. And speaking of these interviews, we should say that this series we've done this year, this monthly interview series, is sponsored by our friends at Eternity Home Finance. And we're delighted that they are sponsoring this series. Um, they are Croydon-based, palace-supporting, crucially, family-run mortgage and protection advisors. From getting on the property ladder to planning your retirement, email info at eternityhomefinance.com for a free consultation if you quote the code FYP. That email is in the show notes below. I should say as well, I don't want to clog up josh's inbox but hey maybe email just a chat about palace i'm sure that wouldn't be rejected either they are a lovely bunch down there josh our contact there is a huge palace fan um and they've been well they've been supporting us for quite a while now so we really really appreciate it and delighted they're part of this interview series um with some of the big names we, hey we had roy last month we've got Macca this month and we've got some big names coming up as well jack haven't we so um uh, don't, yeah. don't don't dangle it don't dangle it too much but yeah we've got some exciting plans I don't want to respond to you saying don't dangle it too much. That's a different podcast. It's a different episode. Um, well, listen, I think we should crack on with uh, with the one and only um, James MacArthur. This is, I would say, this is this is of all the interviews. This is exactly what you get on the tin. This is, this is exactly what you expect it's going to be, and probably more. Very lovely bloke. Really interesting insight into his time at Palace and maybe even the future. Uh, and I think someone that we all wish the best and he wishes the best for Palace. So anyway, enough teasing, enough dangling. Shut up, Jim. This is the one and only James MacArthur on the FYP podcast. Plan podcast interview special sponsored by Eternity Home Finance. Email info at eternityhomefinance.com and quote the code FYP for free consultation. Now, very excited about this. Considered one of the most astute signings in the club's history. We're joined by a man who made over 250 appearances and scored 19 goals for Palace, a technically gifted midfielder who made valuable contributions to the midfields of, count them, six permanent Palace managers and quickly became a cult hero and a fan favourite. Ladies and gentlemen, fresh from announcing his retirement in August and on his second appearance on the FYP podcast, please welcome back the brilliant James MacArthur. James, welcome back. How are you? Very good. Nice to join you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I should say this is your second appearance. You joined us back in May 2018, I think it was, uh, a while ago. So if anyone hasn't heard that first interview, we'll put it in the show notes below. Do go and listen to that as well. But there's plenty to talk about since then uh, that we'll cover today before we do that though you are freshly retired and my first question is have you had a morton's role yet uh most days <laughs> um, i just need to lay off the sausage that goes on it um 
there's been too many of them. Um, but I'm starting to do a bit of running that again um, because I, I probably lived life too well for the, the first couple of months, but I'm getting back into it. How easy is it to keep up that routine? Are you missing that kind of routine of the footballer day-to-day lifestyle? Hard to keep it up? Um, yeah, missing the, the routine, but um, I've really enjoyed my time off. Um, when you're, you're in the, the day-to-day of football, you, you never really get the chance to fully relax and switch off. And even when you feel like you are switching off, you don't, you know, um, until you actually, it, it, it's not there. You realise this is switching off where you can do what you want. Um, you can You can have a beer now and again if you want one. You don't need to go running every single time. Um, I think uh, the, the first game of the season, Man City played Burnley. And it's the first time ever, probably in my life, where I've watched football on a Friday night with a curry and a beer in my hand. And it, it was quite nice. Um, obviously, you missed the, the, the playing, but um, I've enjoyed it so far. What are you missing most and then enjoying most about retirement, apart from Morton's roles, obviously? Um, missing the, the, the lads day to day I think that's one thing that, that I've missed the most um, towards the end of my, my career I didn't play as much as I would have liked to injury happened um, I was obviously getting to the, the later stages of my career where younger lads are running by you and they're fitter and they're stronger um, so I was quite fortunate in a way that I've went out when I felt that it was the right time to go out rather than feel like I've got more in me. So I think it's more the, the lads. Um, I like competing as well. I've missed competing. Um, but the, the the most thing I've enjoyed is, is golf. And that takes up the competing aspect that, that I've um, missed in football. Yeah, I can imagine sort of top-level sportsmen need need to keep that competitive edge going somewhere. And if it's not Morton's roles, and I think golf is a good subject. Because it was just to collaborate, it was hip, it was hip issues, wasn't it? That I think you'd gone on record said that forced you to, to retire. Because a lot of Palace fans were sort of ready and happy for you to sign another contract and stick around for a bit. Yeah, well, I've struggled for a long time with my hips. Um I seen a specialist when I was at Wigan um 13, 12, 13 years ago. Um, and they said that I would need an operation. So I done pretty well to to get to um, the end of my career with it. Um, looking back, maybe I should have done it earlier, but um, you never know what road that, that takes you down. And I look back now with um, no, not much regrets, to be honest. Yeah, that's good. And I guess some footballers end up retiring and then the, the injuries are, are too much to leave, lead a normal life. So uh, I guess the timing was good. Is it is it weird watching Palace from afar? Do you, are you watching many games? Is that a yeah, weird Yeah, I'm watching them. Um, yeah, it's it's quite weird, but um, I'm just a supporter now. Um, I speak to the lads um, quite frequently and it's good to see that they've started, or we've started um, so well in the... <laughs> this season um and long may that continue absolutely right we're gonna live in the in in the first interview back in 2018 we didn't talk too much about your start at palace so jack's gonna take us back right back to the start now you joining crystal palace yep so james I, I seem to recall there were a few clubs chasing your signature you'd stayed with wigan for a year after their relegation and um you signed quite late in the transfer window so we just wondered if you kind of share some insight into how the move to palace 
came about what that summer was like? Did you know you were leaving Wigan and, and was it a surprise it was as late as it was when it was transfer deadline day? Well, I didn't. I, um, I spoke to my agent um, probably about three weeks prior to that and I said to him, don't worry about me, I'm fine, I'm, I'm okay at Wigan just now. Um, the, probably he he got a bit of interest from Burnley um, that came out of nowhere um, and from there they bid, I think they bid maybe £3 million and Wigan said that it's not enough. Um, I had the, let's say, the agreement that I would try and stay at Wigan and try and get them up for one season. I tried my best in doing that, but it didn't It didn't work out. And when you're in a championship and you stay that one year, if you don't get out of it, it's very hard to, to actually get back to the Premier League. So... When my agent spoke to Burnley, then I thought it's Premier League football. I, I, I do want to go back to it. Um, they didn't bid enough. And then all of a sudden, Leicester came out of nowhere and bid. Um, so it was between myself and Cambiasso, who was going to go. They wanted Cambiasso. Um, and he said no, I think. Um, so we agreed to go. Um, quite a funny story, to be honest. Um they, they came in and everything got agreed. So I was led to believe that I was going to Leicester. So I go around all the lads, all the best, goodbye, see you later. Every single one of them, next day, came back in. The deal fell through. They went with Cambiasso. So you can imagine, I don't really want to swear on, on the show, the, the, the pee get ripped out me. Um <laughs> Back in, back in training the next day. What are you doing here? <laughs> I thought you were off. Um, so that was that was a, a horrendous, uh, one of the worst feelings I've had in football where you think you're going back to the Premier League and then the phone goes quiet. Um, and then Neil Warnock um, spoke to my agent and the, the rest is history. I think I went for 5.5 million. Um, and... The stress of that day was incredible. Um, obviously, having one one deal fall through, you you never know what's going to happen. I say I said to you about my hips being bad, and they were bad then. So you're going through that medical, thinking, I hope nothing flags up. And when you sign that that contract, it's it's an amazing feeling, such such relief. It's it's probably like when you have a baby, no joke, like the, the anxiety, everything you go through and then that relief and, and that joy when, when you, you sign. Um, uh, and uh, and well, well, that was, that was Neil Warnock's one and only transfer window in his second spell. Um, and two master strokes brought you to the club, also re-signed Wilf on, on loan initially. So, so a successful window in that sense, but he'd only had a week because he'd only come in just before that when Tony Pulis left in the dead of night just before the season started. So I guess the whole club, as well as yourself, were moving at, at quite a pace towards the end of the window. What, what was the conversation with Neil Warnock like? Did We've had other players say that he he had the, the charm when selling the club and selling the, the project, for want of a better phrase. How, how did he sell Palace to you? He didn't. He didn't need to, to be honest. Um, I played in a cup match um, a couple of months before yeah. um, under the lights and... Uh, Maybe it was five o'clock the game. I don't, I'm not sure, but it was it was dark at that time, and the atmosphere was electric. It was something I've no, no disrespect to the to the other clubs I've had, but the the atmosphere is something like I've I've not really seen before. Um, 
from the first whistle to the very last. And I think, I'm not sure if we win the game. Maybe we lost it. But anyway, the the atmosphere was unbelievable. And when they were back in the the Premier League, I spoke to Barry Bannon, who's a friend. um, And he told me the lads are brilliant. Um, Obviously, it's a uphill task to stay in the Premier League each year. But it's like that with every single club, you know. Um, so I, I didn't really need to be, be sold in a club. Um, and as soon as I came to the club, I felt right at home. Oh, you know the right things to say on the Palace podcast. That's absolutely perfect. Um, so, yeah. so you're not going to Leicester. Is that the reason that Nigel Pearson then um, choked you on the touchline? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually, um, we had a, a little laugh after it. And the, the message that he sent... Um, uh, the awards at the end of the season was really nice, and I appreciated that. And what was not, that? Was just, was, not was so that just... much the not so much the hands around the neck. <laughs> was that just like was it was it like a weird misunderstanding sort of heat the yeah, moment was, sort of thing? Yeah, it was. When you get awkward moments like the start, um, <laughs> but it's literally way worse than that. You, I'm laughing, and then I, like I'm trying to get away, and then he starts laughing. And I'm like. No, I need to run back. Like, I need to go. Like, please let me go. I need to go back. And then it just got so awkward from there. But after it, it was one of the moments that none of us read too much into. Yeah, but then, of course, in the footballing world, everyone sees it. And it goes massive. And you're probably getting loads of messages. And people on Twitter are saying, it's because of this, it's because of this. And it becomes something bigger than it is. But that's that's what football is. It? There's, there's so many times my, my family, my wife's family's told me different scenarios and I'm like don't read anything into anything honestly <laughs> like my my mum's told me before that I'm signing with Rangers she's told me she went you're signing with Rangers aren't you and I went <laughs> no what are you talking about and she went it's all in the news up here everyone's ta- everyone's saying it and I'm like if anyone's going to know about me when I'm going to sign it's me <laughs> like that's football it just Everyone reads into every single thing. Yeah, it's not true. That that Leicester game came in the midst of um, what was a really good second half of the season. Alan Partey came in and and, and turned the, the bad start of the season round. What, what are your memories of that that kind of first half of the season that Alan had with the with the team and and some of the players that he brought in in that in that window too? I think he changed the club to be honest. Um, and probably the biggest signing uh, that made the difference was Yohan Gabay. Um, because not only for the the quality that he had, um, he was a good character, but see when you've got a player like Kabai, then Benteke wants to sign, and Sako wants to sign, and these these big players at, at big clubs then get attracted um, to to a project that would become bigger and bigger and bigger. And to be honest, that's where I see the turning point from that that he made to to make that signing and things will get stronger and stronger and stronger. I look at the squad now, we're, being honest, we're probably a couple of, couple of short, as in where, where the manager would probably like to be, as in if there's a couple of injuries, but the, the strength of, of the team now is, is incredible. Um, it's got real potential to do amazing this season, next season, this, this season after. We've now got um, let's say tangible assets that a lot of clubs will want, and and that's obviously the structure that the club want as well. You, you, 
probably under um, Roy at the end of his first stint, um, we probably didn't have many players that we could sell. And I think Roy um, got probably a harder time than he deserved towards the end of the season with the style of football. Um, because you look at the team he's got now and the, the style that they play now is completely different. Any manager plays to your strengths and those strengths at that time wasn't expansive football, but now it is and he's playing that. We'll come. We'll definitely come on to Roy in a bit because we we're big Roy Hodgson fans on here. Going back to Kabai signing, were, were the players as excited about that as the fans? Because obviously it was a huge moment for it. it was, that was a real you know signature sort of signing. Were the players like, holy shit, this guy's coming to... To Palace as well, or are you sort of taking it day by day, sort of thing. No, I, I, everyone was uh, really buzzing. Uh, you, you're signing a, a, a top player, an internationalist for France, a PSG player. I think um, a lot of people were also thinking, hopefully my wages will go up now that he's coming in in so much money. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, he, he was a top player and. When you're playing in any team, you want better players to to have the potential of of being a, a top ten club, of not fighting relegation every year. And as, as I say, he was a massive signing for the football club. Was there anything that surprised you about Luan Kabai? Did, did you expect him to be as good as he was? Because he he just seemed to to be able to play in a variety of positions. I think a lot of fans didn't expect him to perhaps play as deep as he did. He started to play at the base of midfield. I think. In his time at Newcastle, he'd had more of a goal threat, but he came in and, and played a slightly different role for, for the Palace team that maybe some fans saw. What were the players' thoughts on that? Um, no, nothing really surprised me um, about his technical ability. The the one thing I probably was more surprised at is how nice a guy he was. And that, that's not saying that I didn't expect him to be a nice guy, but when you've got a top internationalist that plays for PSG coming to Crystal Palace, you don't know what he's going to be like. You, you, he, he could have this arrogance about him that doesn't fit in with our squad, but he wasn't um, a really, really down-to-earth guy, and, and it was a pleasure to play with him. I've got a random question. I'm going to chuck at you. That's, that's not in our grid, but it just, it just come to me. Um, and it's, it's not related to Kabai at all, because I think he's he's one of sort of the most highly rated players at Palace we've had. Who's the most underrated player that you've played with? Like a player that you think didn't get the the sort of credit maybe they deserved and you saw it on the training ground week in, week out. Um, hmm. Sorry to put you on the spot there. No, no, it's, it's just those nine years of players. Uh, <laughs> the the one I would say just now um, is Mark Gay. Um, I know he's, he's well thought of um, by Palace and he's getting more and more recognition. Um, but I spoke to you, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't mention another uh, the name that I spoke to, but I, I spoke to someone at a, a top club about him, and he was surprised how well I spoke of him um, because it was his first year um, in, in the Premier League. And when you're at Crystal Palace, people think you're a good player, but to go to the next stage, they, they, they go, mm, I'm not really sure, but he's a player for me that, He's small as well, and that's not like for a centre half when he first came in. You go, well, he's 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 not massive. He doesn't lose a ball in the air. No one runs him. He, he he's brilliant on the ball. He's he's a player for me that can go to um, the the very top. Um, 
if you look at Wardy's one of the people that as well that doesn't get probably the credit he deserves. And throughout what have I been there nine years and he's another year and a bit to play a, a Premier League club for that long and play as many games as he has and people probably don't appreciate him as much as as what others do. He's one of the guys that is, is very underrated. Yeah, I don't know what his secret is. He just keeps going and going and going and and and, and every time people question him, he comes back and, and puts in better performances and I don't know what his, maybe he's a robot, who knows what his secret is. Speaking of being top and then in a very Palace way not, that Cup final season, 2015-16, Palace were flying at the start. Fifth at Christmas, which is yeah. unheard of. Jack and I have never seen that in our lifetimes. No, no. And then that Stoke away win, Chung Yong Lee scores a belter, and then it all fell off a cliff after that. Do you, do you sort of recall any sort of memories about that, of why yeah, that happened, or I, were players talking about it? It's weird because... Every game you thought, no, this will be the one, this will be the one, and we just we couldn't buy a win. <laughs> I, I've had it at uh, Wigan uh, once, and it was the same. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mindset. Um, and you've got to put mindset down to, to some it because you can't just keep losing games. Um, and on the flip side... The mindset was amazing when we were winning all the time. We were just definitely going to win no matter what happened. Um, but I had it at Wigan and we had a, a set pieces we conceded in the first three or four minutes every game. And it, it's it's weird because a corner would come and you would go, oh, I know. And maybe, maybe we got that into us that we were chasing, probably because we were so close to staying up and it was that right let's just get it done right okay we'll get it done this week no we'll get it done and I I don't know how you change it I don't know how you get everyone together to it was it was one of the things that even when you were playing okay you would lose yeah it was and that punching goal that was the same season was like to think, that, to, yeah. to think that we got to that stage was um very disappointing um on behalf of the players that we let it get to that stage where that was a massive game and a massive goal for us. And was it more frustrating for you, James, in that you were injured at the time as well? So your ability to actually impact kind of on field is is obviously limited. So what's what's your role just trying to keep the the mood in the in the group as high as it can be when results are as rank as they were at the time? Are you try to put it down to me. Well, I think hey, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Quite possibly. <laughs> I've always I've always tried to help no matter what um I'm injured, I'm not playing, even towards the end when I know really towards the end of the season I'm not getting on, I'm I'm not playing. I've I've always try and help my team and that's what I tried to do at the time. Probably if I was going back, I would probably do even more. Um as as experience, when you get experience, you do more and more. As I say, towards the end of my career, I try to do as much as I possibly can, and you take yourself out that that comfort zone, and and maybe shout, maybe try and go around people and help them, um, but maybe I I could have done more at the time as well. well is that the, the, sorry, Jim? No, you go. I was going to say, in terms of doing more, is that is that like staying extra on the training ground? Is that uh, banging on the manager's door for more meetings, or is that? 
you know, saying more in the dressing room? Probably saying more in the, the, the changing room. Um, getting around people, um, maybe sp- speaking at halftime and getting people to, to get going if, if things aren't going so well. Maybe try to speak to people to keep confidence up. Um, there's a, a load of different things you can do, as I've learned uh, the last couple of years, when you're not playing to, to try and help. Is that also because those are the kind of things you would like as a player when things weren't going well? Um, probably not, because I was. I, I would say that no matter how hard things are going, I would just knuckle down and keep going. And um, but the the game's changing. The, the the game's changing with the. If you shout at players now, it's probably not going to go down as well as what it was like in in my day, where. A shouting sometimes was a great thing for us, where it would get people going. Um, so I, I've I've learned that other people need different things. Some people need that rocket. Uh, some other people need that that arm around the, the the shoulder. And probably the end of my career has helped me for the next stage of my career when I, I eventually go back into football, um, where I, I understand players a wee bit more. That's, and, and that second half of the season must have been really difficult as a player because you've, you've got the combination of the league season kind of petering out due to the results, but the club are on this incredible cup run on the way to Wembley. And and you came back to, to fitness as as we went to Wembley for the semi-final against Watford and, and you came on in that game. I don't know if that was your first game back from injury or whether you'd had a, a few games. Before we come on to United, and we will talk about the final, sadly, but in terms of that that positive, the day at Wembley, what are your memories of that day? Um... Relief, like people say about enjoying, um, enjoying big moments, um, but you enjoy it when after when you win, and you go into the change room and you can celebrate. But you you don't really enjoy it until you're in there, um, and when you get the opportunity to get to to a FA Cup final, there is a lot of pressure. The the lads on that day dealt with it brilliantly and, and performed and that's not always the case um, so when when you get there you it's a massive amount of relief and excitement to have the opportunity to to win one Such a massive high and, but the actual big event still to come in that the, the cup final is not for another four or five weeks after that so I guess keeping the players feet on the ground is, is as challenging as anything at that point too Yeah but everyone's just looking forward to that moment Um <laughs> And this is one of the things um, we say about people reading too much into things. Um, again, when you've got a cup final and then you've got four or five league games or whatever it is, and people go, no, they're, they're taking it easy out there because they're looking forward to it. That's, I can 100% tell you that is not true. Every game you play in is big and you only concentrate on that one. Obviously, at the back of your mind, you're looking forward to that one probably the most. But you're not going into any other game thinking, oh, what about the cup final? I'm not going in for that challenge, you know? Um, so that's one of the things that we talk about everyone reads too much into. But that, that day was a, a great day for us as players, the manager, coaching staff, the chairman, the fans, everyone um, associated with the club. Yeah, and Jack. I was going to say, James, if we didn't read too much into things, we wouldn't have episodes on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to put you as a job here. <laughs> we have nothing to talk about. Job. That's all we do. <laughs> That's all we do each week. 
Um, just really quick, I think Jack's, I'm going to let Jack ask about the final because it's, it's still a bit too too hurtful for me to talk about it. But um, are you a fan of the semi-finals being at Wembley? Because I know it really divides people. And some fans love it and some don't. Some prefer it was back at Villa Park or whatever. Are you a fan of being at Wembley for the semis or do you think it demeans the final? Uh, or am I overthinking things? I like it. I like it, but I don't. It, it wouldn't really bother me either way. But I like it there. I like it there because of, let's say, Millwall, right? And I know Millwall's rivals, right? But no, I, go on, James. Go on, I, say everything I, you want I, to. I, James. I, go on. Go. No, but a championship club. Um, when I was at Wigan, even when I was at Wigan and the the championship the year after we won it, we got the opportunity to play at Wembley in the semi final. So for a championship club can get to the semis, that's a massive occasion. That's a, a, for any team. So having that opportunity as a player is is, um, is brilliant. And it probably helps you for the final because of you've had that experience and you are ready for it because of you go, well, I've played at Wembley before. That That's the, the, the big occasion. Um, but obviously... It is, it is mixed opinion. Um, I like it, but if it changed, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I wouldn't really think too much of it. You, you uh, just sorry, have... sorry, Jack. I got what? Sorry, I got, no, go, 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 go. one more before we get. <laughs> I think I'm just like elongating, sort of getting to farms. I don't want um, to. Just really quickly, how, how? Why? And you see it happen quite a lot, and I've seen it at Palace like, before in 2001. Clubs that have this slide down the league, and yet for some reason, when it comes to cup games, all the pressure's off, and they play the way they've been trying to in the league, and they can't replicate that a week later. What? Why does? Why do you think that happens? So I would like to say um, that there's nothing in it, but I think there is. I actually do think there is because there's no fear of losing. There's no going for a draw. You're just literally going to win the game. And that's it's a great mindset to have that you're going to win every game. But if if we play against Man United away and it's 1-1, you're not going, let's go for the win, let's go for it. You're saying that's a that's an amazing point. Um and tonight's game will, will show you that maybe there's more of a freedom, you're going to attack and you're not thinking we need to protect. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest thing where you're not going to do anything else except from winning. And that sounds really bad as a player to think that a fan would probably say, you should go in to win every single game. And and you do. But there's points and matches where you go, right, we're under the cost here. We need to try and hold on and get, get a draw and take a point and keep the momentum going. Yeah. yeah to respect the point. That's uh, yeah. you know it's a, it's a big part of it, isn't it, with league football? I, I was actually Jim going to delay going straight to the cup final because it is very painful to talk about. Because I was just going to say, James, both your successful FA Cup semi final wins are enjoyed by Palace fans because even the the one at Wigan was against Millwall. So it, it's a it's a good record you have from a Palace perspective. Um, going into the final, obviously it's a it's a massive game. It's Manchester United and FA Cup final. You personally. Where were you at with your recovery and were you expecting to start? And just generally, could you just sum up the, the mood going into into the game um, the week ahead? I know we the end of the season did kind of peter out, but in terms of the lead up that week going to the final, where, where, what was the mood like? Um, 
excitement. Um, I wouldn't really say from from the camp. It didn't. It didn't feel like anyone was nervous or, or thinking about it too much. That you start it starts affecting you really. Um, I mean, it's probably my like year two as well. Um, one of the ones you wish you go back in time and you can win it. Um, it's it's probably the only thing, the only game where I would take back and change um, in my career. Um, coming so close as well, like was literally devastating. Um, you would rather probably get beat three 0 and say, well, we we get battered, but to to get so close, um, but so far. Um, was was literally devastating. Uh, for, for Palace fans, we obviously hang a lot on a few decisions that perhaps didn't go our way that day. Did players, was it part of your thinking as you kind of walked off the pitch that day that a few decisions had gone the other way and were probably the difference between, you know, Milo lifting the cup rather than Wayne Rooney? Or or had you kind of made your, not made your peace with it, but had you decided it was just the, the way the game went overall? Um, as a player, I, I, I don't really like to blame um, I always look at what we could have done better. Um, everyone makes mistakes. I know. I know that's we're not going to like to hear that, but everyone makes mistakes, and that's a mistake that he made on on the day. Um, but we had the opportunity. We were one 0 up. No matter at at that moment, and he doesn't send. Uh, was it Smalling? Smalling, yeah. yeah. He doesn't send Smalling off. Would you take going into the last? Eight minutes, whatever it was, been one 0 up, and who cares about it? So we had that opportunity, and and we we couldn't really grasp it and and get over that. that what, fight what, that and went. what was the key? Did did United just lift the intensity um, apart, or, or did did Palace maybe drop off with the the pressure of being one 0 up with eight minutes to go in a cup final? Whenever you're, whenever you're winning an FA Cup final, no matter what you say, even if it was the other way around, you start sitting back. You you can't go all out. Imagine us now saying that we went all out attack and we get done in the counter two one, like that. That's that's just that would be stupid, really. Um, I would probably say the biggest difference was Wayne Rooney. Um, Wayne Rooney, um, especially towards the. The end of the game, literally played like the the player he was of of young. Um, started running the show, and you need luck. You do need luck, and the the goals they scored were were, were good goals. To be fair, um, I mean, the, the, not to go back, but the the time where where we won it at Wigan, your keeper made like a save that should never ever be stopped ever. And not only saved it, it went over the bar like it hits his leg and go over the bar. That's that's a moment where you go, if they score that, they beat us. And in that game, the moments went for them. The the, the execution of of those final moments where, I mean, Lingard's goal is is a game to win. It's a goal to win the any game but an FA Cup final. Um, but as I sit here, it's just I did I did. <laughs> I probably took it out of my mind for a long, long time, but thinking about it now, it's um, it's, it's not nice speaking about, you know. Sorry, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. No, I was literally about to say it. I think we need to move on because the 
the uh, the speed of, of the way we're just talking has dropped massively. I think we need to <laughs> yeah, yeah. move on. <laughs> I was going to say, Jack put, it a little more, Jack put it a little more eloquently because I was going to say, what's your reaction to the following words? Mark Clattenburg. But uh, <laughs> I think you're too professional. to. I should, I should say, actually, it is... Um, I, I've tried to move on from the cup final and actually now see it as a huge achievement for a team like Palace. Only second time in our history. Obviously, losing to United twice is very Palace. But I now look at those moments and remember abide with me before kickoff and that was just such an incredible moment with all my best friends and my my dad yeah. and my brother and even punchy's goal and i have gone back and watched it a few times it was just to live in that moment for a minute or two minutes was just fantastic and yeah it, it didn't work out you know and that's just the way it goes but i think there are still good moments from that game that we can we can enjoy anyway let's move on everyone starts crying um you did speak before on uh, the previous episode about your time with Allardyce. Obviously, part of you goes, Allardyce comes in, and I know it wasn't a, a great time for you. And so, I don't want to hang on that too much. And I do want to move on to the the Frank de Boer years, uh, which were very on years. Sorry, the Frank de Boer weeks, um, which were <laughs> much more. But just like just from a player's perspective, when you're not in the team, how difficult is it to keep that mindset, you know, really focused uh, on, I guess, getting back in the manager's plans? Can you do extra? Or are, or are you kind of like, this is kind of out of my hands, really, in terms of the main decision? Well, I learned a lot from that experience. Um, and with Sam, like, you think, I, I think a lot of people will think that you don't play. Well, I wasn't playing. Um, you would hate the manager. You wouldn't like him. But Sam was brilliant for the club. Like, he came in and, like the team was a different team. We were getting massive results, and if he stayed, maybe my my career might not have continued. So on that aspect, that was maybe a good good uh, thing for myself. But he's done a, a brilliant, brilliant job. Um, I learned a lot from that experience. Um, the, the the reason I learned a lot is because I made mistakes. Um, I didn't perform as well as I could, but I changed the way that. I am as a player. In training, I would start running with the ball because I thought that's what I wanted. I would start doing completely different things rather than get better at what I'm good at, and that's ratting, taking the ball off people, giving it simple to better players. Um, and funny enough, I spoke to um, Eze this, uh, last year about my experience with that as well because he was probably similar um, towards the end with with Patrick, he, in my opinion, he didn't perform where he could, um, and because Ebsy's an amazing player, like uh, like outstanding top top player. Oops, something fell. <laughs> um, he's a top top player, and uh, I thought that was Sam Allardyce coming in for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, but he's a he's a top player. Yeah, I, I can't actually speak highly enough of how good he is as a player and as a person. Um, but he went through a time where he probably lost his confidence, where he wasn't playing as free as he can. Maybe he was trying to do things different. And I tried to lean on him a bit to say, this is what happened with myself. And don't change. Like, be the best you can be at what you're good at get on the ball, drive at people, have that arrogance, that confidence. And to see him doing what he's doing now is, like, it's amazing to watch. Like, him now in England, 
camps, um, he's, he's where he, he belongs. Yeah, he, we love Ebbs at Palace. Everyone adores him. And again, because he, he, he seems like the nicest guy as well and just incredibly down to earth. Speaking of someone who did make lots of mistakes at Palace, Frank De Boer is appointed Palace manager. Obviously, it was a very short, it was a, it was a crazy time, really. Certainly as the fans, there's, there's formation changes and signings and it's all a bit mad. What's your, I mean, literally on our notes, it says here, what on earth happened? What, what's your assessment of that that time at Palace? Was it as whirlwind for the players as, as it was for the fans? Um, but what it comes down to in football is if you win games, I lose games. And we were losing games with a massive change. Um, maybe it was too fast. Maybe the team now could have um, coped with all of the changes. We... we I said to you about the, the team that we've got now compared to the one that Roy had towards the end and maybe the team now could cope better with um, Frank's style of play but I don't think the players were ready to literally take away everything what we were good at as a team which was strong characters, staying in games, counter-attack football to a possession-based side that probably for that team was maybe too slow. Um, we were, as I say, our strengths were Balassi, Zaha, all wingers that, that we had. Um, so maybe the change was, was too fast. I had forgotten, Jim, um, until I listened back to the previous episode that James was on, that James MacArthur is the only player to have scored competitive goals for Frank de Boer in the Palace. So it, it wasn't just the losing games, it was the, it was the lack of the goal threat. And I, I remember watching the Burnley away game, which was Frank de Boer's last game, and Scott Dan missed that chance in the last minute. As a group of players, did you walk off the pitch thinking that miss, no intention obviously by Scott to miss it, but was <laughs> was that miss? Of course, the lawyers are listening. But it, <laughs> in all seriousness, did players walk off the pitch thinking that would normally go in? Like Scott Dan was really good in front of goal. Yeah. And it was just one of those things that just seemed to typify Frank de Boer's spell, and, and maybe a point away at Turf Moor if we if we'd you know left that game with a with a point. Who knows what the decision would have been regarding Frank de Boer? But did, how players walking off the pitch? What 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 were you guys thinking? Um, that we've lost the game, and there's disappointment. There's there's no real feeling of anything else. There's no what about this? What could we have done this? You're just disappointed. Um, you're gutted. You're frustrated, like like fans get. We as just players are the exact same, and there, there is big moments in managers' careers really that you score a goal and it keeps somebody in a job, and maybe you fly and you become like you look at Alex Ferguson um, at, at Man U. He was on the verge of getting sacked. Sorry, yeah, let's, sorry. Let, let's talk about another Palace Man United final, why don't we? Uh, let's, uh, let's do it. <laughs> how that changes um, yeah. his career. And maybe it would have been the same, but we'd, we'll never know. And to be honest, it worked out pretty well um, with, with the change. And from there, we became a, a real successful club. Before we come on to Roy, Jim, can I just ask James about just one final point about Frank de Boer. The, the, the Huddersfield game at the start of the season was obviously quite 
stark reality check. And, and I think a lot of Palace right, fans... Jack, I'm currently working with a Huddersfield fan and he literally brings it up every five minutes. <laughs> Best, well, I'm sure he does. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Not much else to talk about. Um, but in terms of the reality check that did provide, I think a lot of Palace fans thought the start of the season, because of that change of style that you talk about, James, we anticipate that start might be a little bit harder than, than maybe Frank Ball is going to be given credit for. But the 3-0 home defeat, did it surprise the players to, one, how good Huddersfield were on the day, but, but two, the... The, the nature of the defeat was it was it a shock in the dressing room after the game yeah probably um so it's always tough playing a a team that's just came up because yeah. you don't know what they're like um I, I had it at Wigan and we played uh Blackpool first oh, game yes. of the season at home yes. and we yeah. lost 4-0 Marlon Harewood Gary Taylor Fletcher didn't know yeah <laughs> yeah the, the the those games when you lose them even if it's a 1-0 it's it's really really poor, and you feel like the world's going to end. And it was probably the the manner of the performance that day that was probably a surprise for us that we didn't play well at all. Um, credit to Huddersfield on the day, but I think every every player in that that change room was looking at themselves um, and thinking must do better. When when Frank gets sad, because I think it was eighty eight. 88 days and obviously that's that's very short and and you have to hand it to Steve actually because every time there's been a managerial I guess upset is the best word he always then backs it up with a good appointment post that and then we'll come to Roy in a minute who's obviously been superb for Palace are the players are you thinking oh that's a bit early are you thinking yeah that's probably about right no, when you're a when you're a player, like it's it's never nice seeing any manager get sacked. Um, and first and foremost, you look at yourself and you look and say, "I've got a lot to play in that." Um, and at the time when Frank goes, it's a surprise probably because of it was so short. But at the same time, we weren't we weren't looking like we were going to get any results at, at that time um, and probably for the chairman the even as players the change was too big um, and it was it was going to take a, a good bit of time before that change was going to start paying dividends to, for the team and who knows how long that could have been it could have been too late and Obviously, I, I don't like to say that against Frank, but the, the the chairman at the time made the right decision because look at us now. Yeah, but, and Roy came in almost immediately. There wasn't much time between the two. And, you know, sorry, I've, I've had a sequence of questions where I've asked you quite negative questions. So I'll try and be positive. I'll let you, I'll let you wax lyrical about Roy Hodgson and, and the impact that he had that first season. Um, and just generally, your, your opinion about Roy Hodgson as a manager. Um, first of all, I would say as a person, um, an amazing, an amazing man. Um, if you met him, if I met him, if somebody in the street met him and started speaking to him, he would give you the time of day. He would speak to you for an hour if you wanted to chat um, with his players. Every single player respects him, admires what he's done in the game. He's a manager that and. Not many times in my career where every player is rooting for the manager. When you're not playing normally, a player isn't really that bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone respects him so well. When you lose, 
when I we said there about um, when you come in, you're just disappointed after a defeat. A lot of my defeats at Palace, he was one of the first person I, f- I thought about and thought I've let the manager down. Uh, if I played bad and come off, I would feel the sense to apologise to him because of the, the man that he is. Um, in the game, um, you don't stay in the game that long if you're not mm. a good manager. I mean, he knows what to, to give the players. Um, if He's probably different from a lot of managers. I wouldn't say that tactically he's a genius. He's very, very good tactically and he knows how to set up his team brilliantly to win football matches, which that's what a manager's there for. To, to know how he won a football match and he's brilliant at it. Um, he's got, let's say, a fiery side to him that you need to to have as a manager. If you don't, then you don't get the best out of players. I mean, we, we've uh, had conversations at the, the side of the pitch and the, the players that he's managed is like... As a joke, I joke, I joke, I joke to him a couple of times, saying the players that he's managed, and then he's watching me kicking the ball out of play. Or like, you must be thinking, what is he doing here? Um, but talking about how to get the best out of players, you look at the the transformation. And Patrick, for me, was a honestly a brilliant manager. Um, Lads probably lost a little bit of confidence with losing games. Um, nothing to do with his setup, his style. Um, but in games, if you lose, you you do lose confidence. And that that change of of manager and the manager coming in and literally going, well, working on patterns of play just to get people finishing, to get people scoring goals. Um, he. He knows how to get the, the, the best out of people. And for me, uh, personally, um, he changed my career. I feel like I, I became... My, my best years of football was under was under Roy. Um, he got the best out of me, no matter what position he played me in. I, I think he's played me in every single position, except from maybe striker. Um, so he... He trusted me a lot, and I, I felt that I gave him my best to to um, try and reward that trust. I'll, I'll hand over to Jim because I know Jim wants to ask you a, a question about a very particular match and a very particular goal that you scored. But just everything you just said, I think, is is felt by the Palace fan base. There's, yeah. there's such a connection between Roy and, and the Palace fans, and and I was lucky enough to be one of the the five thousand that was in for the Arsenal game, which was his uh, you know initial goodbye to to Selhurst, and I, I I felt quite sad that he didn't have to the full goodbye that he probably warranted um, as a man as well as the manager. So to have him back now, and, and we'll come on to, to Roy and your, um, you know, your last games with Palace in, in a moment, but there's such such a connection, and, and I hope that was felt by the players, that the, the man in the dugout was, was as adored by the, the fans as he was by the players. But I'll pass to Jim, because I know he's he's absolutely itching to, to ask you about a particular goal. <laughs> still here, Jim. I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'm thinking about this. I, before I come on to it, actually, I want to... Take it, do a nod to, to Ray Lewington as well, who was obviously sort of Roy's right hand man and has been at Palace many times actually, even before Roy was there. But um, what is the deal with Ray Lewington and wearing shorts in every single temperature? You're obsessed. You're it's obsessed, snowing. Mate. He's wearing shorts. It's a, it's a monsoon. Oh, Ray's wearing shorts again. The players what is have the deal with that? 
the players have said it as well. I, I've not got a clue, to be honest. The, for for me, um, the the manager is obviously the the most important person at the club, right? But take away him, for me, Ray Lewington is an unbelievable coach. The the demands that he puts on players, the confidence that he gives them. Um, he knows when to shout. He knows when to cuddle them. Um, you, you hear him at the sideline every single game. No, no matter um, you put the volume down to zero, and you could still hear Ray. Um, he, he's literally he drives everything what what the club do. Um, and at the end of the season, no one no one knew what was going to happen uh, with with Roy and Ray. And I'm really glad that the club made the decision to to keep them because the change and everything about the club um, since he's been brought in as manager first time and second time has has made the club better. Yeah, one of the highlights of lockdown was was hearing Ray Lewington shout, "Go on, son!" From the side. sometimes I just record it and play it to myself, like just a little confidence booster throughout my day. <laughs> um, it was so oh, it was so good, and seeing him in his shorts. Um, Let's come on to then, I think my favourite moment of yours, I think, at Palace, which is uh, the Watford winner in front of the Homesdale. I was, it helped that it was Watford and Palace have a weird, random, sort of spiky little relationship with, that, with Watford. I think it was literally down to a guy in a mascot suit. Um, and also the fact that Palace had been absolutely terrible for 90 minutes. And then we pop up to a guy, I think Bakri Sacco gets the first one. And then you get to say, well, Wilf is obviously involved in both. Yeah. Where does that moment rank for you in your memory of of, of Planet Palace? Um, yeah, right up there. Um, th- that moment is unbelievable. I mean, to to score two goals in the last literally ninety plus three, ninety plus five, something like that, um, against Watford as well. <laughs> it was literally. I don't think there was ever a game against Watford that I enjoyed. It was always horrible. It, it was even there at our place. There was never a game that I went. That was a great game. That was brilliant. That, even from their side, I think they would say the same. That there was never a time where they played good football. We played good football. You could play. We could have been Man City playing like Man City all season and played against Watford, and it would have been the exact same game. It, it, it wasn't a, a nice game and. Probably the because of we were so poor in that game, um, I think it was Tom Cleverley that got sent yeah. off. Yeah, um, was a big moment, and to score that goal, the noise was incredible. But to then score again, that and take away it was it was uh, my goal. But us scoring that goal and and the last minute to to from literally losing the game to winning it was unbelievable. I think we were not. Bottom, we were not like well, literally right, right it, down. It, it's a great goal for a lot of reasons, but it, actually, that goal got us out of the relegation zone for the first yeah. time that season. Didn't know that, so it's an incredibly important goal. And I, I think we might have dropped back into it for afternoons or evenings as the season progressed, but not very often. And that was the first time we'd moved away since the start of the season, which has been in horrid. So, as, as great a moment it was just for beating Watford and injury time goals, it was really, really? important, yeah. really important, yeah. But are you, are you, as a like, I know you're a very modest individual, but and <laughs> I'm sure had you been watching on the sidelines, you'd have enjoyed that moment as much as the fans. But as it's you tapping in the bottom corner, left foot as well, are you not thinking 
fucking get in. Can you even describe <laughs> that moment as a player? Like, it must have been amazing. Yeah, but it's just more winning the game. Like, to, to win the game, like, is, as I say, especially at that moment where we were struggling a little, um, we weren't winning as many games as we would have liked to. And when you get that win, it's relief, it's excitement, it's joy. And as I say, the, the Palace fans, how loud they are, like that noise running around. I think half people ran that way and I ran towards the, the halfway line. I don't know why I ran that way, but yeah, the, it was just so much excitement. It, it, was, it was one of the most chaotic celebrations, yeah. I think, because of the situation, I think, Obviously, Wilf has an unbelievable role in that goal. We'll, we'll talk oh, about yeah. Wilf maybe just quickly about how, how important and how great he was to play with. But half the team go and celebrate with him. You've gone to the halfway line under in Scott Dan's hands, I think, or, or James Tompkins. Yeah, I can't recall who it was, but that was just a great moment. But, but maybe just a, a couple of moments on, on Wilf, who's obviously also departed the club this this summer. And your your memories of playing with Wilf and, and clearly such a, a figurehead for the club. And, and how how important was he during your time at Palace? Um. I believe if Wolf wasn't at the club, we may not be in the Premier League. That's how big yeah. it is. Um, and when I say may, I believe that we probably wouldn't have. Um, he was instrumental in everything that we done. I, I said about the style of play that we played, we played that style for Wolf because of Wolf. If we don't have that release and that ball that can take you up the park 50 yards, 60 yards, and then go and score a goal. Like, players can get up the park, but he can literally get up the park and then go and score. Um, as a player, like, for me, there's not been a better player at Palace. Um, I know that we have got potential now um, that can go on to massive things, but for me, Wolf is the best player that I've I've seen at Palace. He scored big moments, um, scored big goals and big moments, um, drove people, even though he was moaning at people all the time. But he's doing it to try and drive people. Um, I mean, I don't know I don't know how many arguments I had with him. Um, we sent a nice, a nice text to each other when we were leaving, and that was one of the things that we said that we would miss, those arguments, those um, driving each other on, driving the team on. Um, and I'm sad to see him go, but at the same time, um, I'm happy that he's getting the opportunity to play Champions League football where, where in my opinion, he belongs. I would obviously like him to beat Palace instead, but for him personally, I'm, I'm chuffed. Did, did players yeah. have an idea of where his destination was at the end of the season? Because it, it did seem to be there was a, a massive uncertainty, but within the playing group, was there... Any idea where, where Will's future might lie? Well, I don't think Wolf knew. So there's no chance that we we would have um, have any inkling where he was going to go. It was very random. Um, I have to say, that, that's one of the things that's always wound me up is, is people outside Palace really misunderstanding Wilf. And so oh, he moans, he moans. It's passion. It's always been passion. And we've seen that as fans. And that, that's no, always wound me up. Well. <laughs> it does moan as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is passionate, but he, he definitely moans as well. All right, 50 50. Yeah. Um,
before we come on to, to, to Patrick and then Roy returning, uh, uh, lockdown was a very strange period. How weird was that from the playing perspective with no fans in the stadium? Very. Um, and I think probably for us more so than a lot of clubs. I think a lot of clubs may have enjoyed it. Um, let's say the clubs that play at home where there's pressure on them every week and things aren't going so well and the fans get on their backs. With your club, it doesn't really happen. Like, when you're losing 1-0, 2-0, the fans stick with you and drag you back into the game. So we missed them more than a lot of clubs did. Um when you're playing away from home, it's it's quite nice uh, that you go to um, Man United away and it's literally a game of football. That's all you're playing. I know that you can say that you're playing a game of football anywhere, but when there's fans behind the home team, um, it's probably more intimidating. And we, we did, I mean, we spoke about Roy Lunton. We, we often heard you on the sidelines uh, on the TV cameras shouting out in, instructions and encouraging your your, your teammates. Was that an indication maybe at that point? Was that just something you always did? Or was that a little inkling to sort of James MacArthur of the future post-football? Um, I didn't really think too much of it, to be honest. Um, and even now I don't, because all I'm trying to do is help to win the game. Because I think one of the things a lot of the lads said about me um, and the, the short video that they'd done as a send-off was competitive. Like, that's all I'm being there. Like... I'm not doing it for any other other reason. I just want my team to win. Um, and if I can see someone running off of uh, T at left back, why would I not shout? Why would you be quiet and think, I, I could have said something. They've just scored a goal. So I felt always just say what it is. And I, I heard people other opposition saying, why is he shouting or why is he so busy and all this? I didn't really care. All, all I cared about is trying to win. The um, the, the lockdown coincided with, with Roy leaving and, uh, and Roy was four seasons pretty much, which is Premier League level, unbelievable stability for, for a manager. So knowing Roy was leaving, you guys go on your summer break. Is there a, a nervousness about what's to come? And when Patrick Vieira gets announced... Were your response to to a new manager being appointed in it, and Patrick Vieira specifically? I don't think any player that is playing wants change. Um, so, so even even the players that that weren't playing at the time were sad to, for Roy to go, really. Um, but everything in football, the club felt that that had run its course with Roy and. At the time, it was maybe a good decision because Roy got maybe not a good send-off because of, of the times, but everyone appreciated what he'd done for the club, the job that he'd done, and it shows you how highly everyone thought of him that when we weren't getting results, he was the, the man that the club turned to to, let's say, get them, let, let's say, get his results and get his winning games and playing bit, better football at, at the time. Um, so he's done a, an amazing job. And as I say, I can't speak highly enough of him. And when Patrick Vieira came... Oh, no. Sorry, go on, Jim, go on. I was going to say, my favourite Roy Hodgson moment, and I love him to bits, was when he came back as Watford manager. 
relegated them, <laughs> and, and then refused to walk over to their fans, <laughs> and then said afterwards, "It was just a bit too far, lads." I yeah. just, I so it's, it's trolling of the absolute like Premier League level. I just loved it. I loved that it happens. so much. Yeah, that's brilliant. Just that power, isn't it? He's yeah. just, he's just bad. Do, do you think, though, James, when Patrick Vieira came in, the fact there was such a turnover within the squad was that a good thing for the new manager? Um, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, because you... we 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 changed style of play. Um, and and I said about um, De Boer when we changed style of play, we we had players that were used to one style. Um, with bringing in so many new faces, but also young faces um, that want to learn that are really buzzing to to be at Premier League level and get that opportunity. Um, that was probably an amazing um, masterstroke from the club to make so many changes with, with a new manager. And everyone thinks that um, Patrick's time um, wasn't a, a, a good time. For me, it was a brilliant time. Um, he transformed the club um, to play attacking football um, with if you were to say to me at the start of that season have you got a lot of confidence where you're going to finish this year I would say no being honest because of we are bringing in so many players we're bringing in a new manager that has never managed obviously he was a top top player um, but he's never managed at Premier League level (laughs) so there's a lot of doubt there for everyone around the club and the way he got us playing straight away as, except from probably the end of the season when when uh, Roy came back, it's one of the best football I've seen Palace play in that first year. We were dominating games against top clubs. We were um, pressing teams, but one counter press and one in the back, high up the pitch, and it was a those twelve games that I played, the eleven mm-hmm. games under Patrick at the start of the season was. Uh, maybe the best run of games that I played, especially when I was getting older and I was thinking, I don't know where I'm at here really with getting older, Uh, younger players around you all the time, people coming in to play for your position. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it under him. And he was a brilliant man as well. And people always think when you get sacked, um, you've done a bad job. We were 12th in the league. And we went on a bad run and we were still 12th in the league and we didn't win in eight or nine games. That shows you how good the job that he'd done at the start of the season, that we were still in that position. And Roy was then coming into a team, obviously not playing with confidence, but you don't normally come into a job when you're sitting 12th in the league, albeit maybe not by a load of points, but you then get the opportunity with a great run of fixtures to go and do brilliant and 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 pick up where where things left off when he was here. Well, just before we finish with returning to Roy, just you mentioned those eleven games and, and you were absolutely exceptional that that first few months under Patrick Vieira. And one man who was in the midfield with you was was Conor Gallagher. Were you surprised at the impact that Conor had when when he signed? He was getting goals. He was he was absolutely everywhere. Did you have any expectation that he was going to be as impactful at the club as as he turned out to be? Probably not. Um, I played against him at uh, West Brom and he was a good player at the time and you could see he had this bundle of energy but I think that the manager style of play suited him 
down to a tee, getting into the box, um, using his energy, counter-pressing, pressing. Um, so when any player comes in on loan, you try not to expect too much, but he exceeded everyone's expectations, even if people were expecting him to be a good player. Um, he exceeded that, and to see what he's doing now um, at Chelsea is, is brilliant. Um, he's a great lad, and, and I, I wish him all the success in the world. Yeah, he captained them the other week, actually, didn't he? Which is, which is was great. Seems very proud to play there. Just really quickly on Patrick. So I'm I'm 39. I'm, I'm 40 next year. I think Patrick Vieira is the first Palace manager that's made me feel really old because <laughs> I rem- I remember I remember him signing for Arsenal, let alone playing and winning trophies. And I know he's got a huge stature in the game, and I imagine that's probably one of the reasons that Palace were able to attract some of the younger players that did that summer. It was a fantastic window. Was there an element of Oh my God! This is Patrick Vieira coming in, or were the players and yourself actually just again trying to take it as just another manager? Uh, no, you're buzzing. Like he—he's your manager, you know. Um, he's a legend of the game, uh, Premier League. He's—he's he's won everything. Um, so him coming in, you're coming in with a stature, like. And I said about Kibaye, I couldn't. I couldn't meet meet a more down to earth man that has won everything. Literally, I I would joke um, about my FA Cup to the lads as a, as a joke, um, and I said to the gaffer, "See if I won what you've won, I would be telling everyone all the time." And then he would make a a little joke about some of them, but he was very very humble. Um, and for somebody who's has done as much in the game. You may not expect that, um, but as, as I says, I really believe that he'll be back in the Premier League manager one day. Sorry, Jack, just before, because I know you're going to come in with Roy coming back. I um, I hosted a panel thing with 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 Patrick and the Palace for Life Foundation November last year or year before last, and the Down Syndrome Eagles were there, DS Eagles, and he was unbelievable with them and in fact that was the night he invited them to the training ground and I know it was like during yep. I think we went back into lockdown and stuff so it had to wait a while but you could tell then there was like a, com- a compassion to him which I've, I often think a lot of top level footballers maybe don't have and actually maybe it's a bad thing because they're trying to be so focused on on playing but there was a real I was like oh this guy's class he's just he's just absolute class sort of from top to bottom the, the thing is as well with if you're a manager likability as such a, a great thing to have um, when you're going through bad times and you're an amazing person people give you that extra inch and go no it's okay like we'll, we'll get it better next week rather than if you're not a nice man then they go he needs to go out the door like we need to get rid of him that's that's the way football works um, but as I says I, I really enjoyed my, my time under him I was very sad um, to see him leave in football, that is literally football, and the the, the club. I, I believe that the the club would have stayed up regardless, but we we never know. So the, the club have made the the, the right decision um, in their eyes, and a lot a lot of people's eyes. If that's we end up getting the results that we need, and that's what it's all about football. There, there was an incredibly sad air around the club when that sacking got made. I think it was a, a sacking that didn't sit well with anyone, and. Um... Was difficult, but then again, the club turned to Roy, as you, as you say, James, and and results did pick up. Do you think that Leicester game 
was perhaps one of the most important and focusing specifically on JP's last minute winner as moments go at Selhurst was that about as important as, as it probably gets in a, a six points of the type of game that was yeah um, the one thing I would say before we go into Leicester is the chairman has got like we, we think about we can make decisions or we think we know best but the chairman has got the hardest job ever like the chairman did not want to get rid of Patrick. He wanted to keep him. The, as I said, such an amazing man. You, you don't want to sack anybody. Um, so I think about how hard we think it is. It's way, way, way harder. Like he's sacking a, a man that he's became friends with yeah. who he, he really, really likes. Now that's a hard, hard thing to do. But all he's doing is in the best interest of his football club, his team that he loves, he needs to make that decision. So I, I the chairman has always made, luckily, the right decisions for the football club. And see one day, if he doesn't make them, people need to remember all the right things that he's, he's done for the football club. Because people forget very, very fast in football. And you're only judged on the decision you make now rather than everything you've done for that that football club. He's, he's literally transformed it into a Premier League club that is very, very stable with a lot of exciting players. And I will go back to the, the goal. <laughs> um, that that moment is massive. Honestly, the, the, the moment... Um, we think that we're going to get something out of the game and then they score. And then we won 2-1, didn't we? Mm. We won 2-1. Yeah, yeah. went 1-0 down. Yeah, because Wells yeah. came off injured at yeah. half yeah. yeah. Um, or just before. And that was one of the best I've ever seen us play in that first half. I think we had had 20 shots. Sorry, I'm getting into my Scottish here. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, I was down, when I was down south, I tried to slow everything down. When I get back to Scotland, all the Scottish words came out. Um, and in that game... Um, we had something like 20 shots in the first half and it was yeah. like how have we not scored and then Wolf goes off injured and they score and you start going oh we may be in trouble here like th- th- that was probably the first switch of you start thinking about relegation being honest as a player, you sit, I was sitting on the bench and I thought, oh, this is not good. Your, your star man, the guy that's got us out of trouble every single year, is injured and you're 1-0 down. Confidence. As a manager, the most important game is probably your first. Yeah. If you win your first game, everyone is buoyant and ready for the next one. You lose, that creeping feeling starts getting back in. Um so that moment was literally the biggest moment of the uh, of the season. It was the biggest moment of the season, and from there we did not look back. Even when we played poor in games, I, I can remember the the Leeds game after it. The first half was terrible. If you watched that first half, uh, Sam Johnson was instrumental in in, in keeping them out. Um, and if it wasn't for him, you're probably two or three nil down in the second half. I think it was five one. Five one. Five, yeah. one. The second yeah. half was literally 
like a completely different team. And and we go back to uh, Ray and Roy. That's them at half time, demanding from the players, knowing when to a shout at people and demand from people, and other games knowing when to everything's okay, calm down, relax. That that's why they their experience in the game is is so vital to doing well. Yeah, that that, that Leicester game. This is fascinating to hear that. And that Leicester game was was huge moment. I was very pleased for JP as well because it's a really nice goal. It's a, like the Jordan Ayew brings the ball about fifty yards up the pitch, and then it's a nice turn and finish. When Mateta said the previous season, oh, "I want I the fans," I know what you're going to say. I want. I think we were, yeah, we took the pee out of him for a long time. Like he was scoring training, and I like I would joke, boom! But it never. As soon as he said that, it, like even when he had good shots, they would hit the crossbar. The keeper would make a world class save. Nick Pope made that unbelievable save unbelievable. against Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you probably best just keep scoring goals. <laughs> Do, do players think like that? If a player goes public with something like that, does he walk back into the changing room and the rest of the players are thinking, why did you say that? You know you're not going to score for three months now or something like that. You know what? JP is such a good lad and he takes everything he's straight. Um, he, he's such a funny character that even when you banter him, he just laughs. Like He'll give you some back and he'll laugh. Um, it was probably a, a relief more for him to score the goal, never mind the, the celebration. Um and such a, a big goal. We talk about the punching goal and that's probably the the goal that everyone will remember the relief from. But that that goal, that noise, um it, it was literally like the, the Watford the Watford goal. Um the, the the relief, the joy, everything in in that single moment is what why we love football, isn't it? Yeah. I think we've we've spoken about Roy so much. I don't think we need to kind of kind of detail the impact he had because I think James you've, you've kind of highlighted the impact you that he did I have. Want a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of our questions. Uh, no <laughs> what I what I wanted just to maybe with with Jim and just bring it towards the end of, of the pod. Your last few weeks at the club are littered with with two appearances at Selhurst as well, which is which is great and and uh you know the fans gave you the the adulation that you you fully warranted. Did did you know going into even the Bournemouth game that you were coming to the end of your time at Palace, or were there still negotiations to be had? Still thoughts in your head about your injury? Um, I don't know if I knew. I'm not sure. Um, I had a conversation with the chairman there or thereabouts, um, and I really, I really did want to stay, um, but at the same time, I understood that I wasn't playing. And I wasn't going to be playing. Um, my body was getting older. Um, the if I stay, let's say Alerma can't come in or doesn't come in. Like so, you're taking someone's spot that can improve the team, um, can improve the squad. Um, so I understood that why I wasn't there. And being honest, um, I thought I would have been really gutted. And this might sound like a thing you probably shouldn't say to Palace fans or any fans, but I was quite happy. I, I was quite happy that I was leaving on a high. Um, there was a lot of times in training t- 
towards the end where I probably started looking forward to retirement because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, I loved my time there and I, I loved being around the lads and I loved trying to help off the field, but my body couldn't perform anymore the way I wanted it. And for me, who no matter if I play head tennis, five-a-sides, a game, a, a charity game, anything, I'll give everything. And so I'm going into training and expecting myself to perform, giving everything. And there was a lot of times where I wasn't performing, not even to the level I wanted to, to a good level. So that's why in the end up I was quite, let's see, happy that I, I wasn't going to go through sitting on the bench and knowing you're not getting on. Like I've always, I've always played or if I'm on the bench, I know I'm coming on. I know I'm coming on to try and help the team, but when you're sitting on the bench and you know you're not coming on, it's it's not a nice feeling. And how much I love the game, how much I love Palace, it's not an enjoyable experience. Um, so, obviously gutted to leave, but the send off I got like was honestly to to all all the fans, everyone around the club. I am very very grateful for that. Um, and I probably knew I was going to retire, but I wasn't. 100%. Um, it probably made it easier to retire after that because of it was such a high moment for me. Um, I'm never going to get a better send-off than that. Um, if I go and play in Scotland, which I wanted to come back to Scotland um, with my family, um, I know I'm going to need to come up here and prove myself completely again. And my body wasn't ready for doing that. So that's why I took the decision for me and my family that I, I would um call it a day at that. I guess I guess relief is the word I'm I'm getting. Um no, not really. I, it was I was so proud that probably proud and um it wasn't a relief because I, if I could continue, I would. Like so, there wasn't a there wasn't a. Oh, I want to retire. I need to retire. I'm looking forward to it. It was more just my body wasn't ready to keep doing what it needed to do. Like people say, well, you come on a couple of Premier League games and you've done fine, but that's for twenty minutes in a game. Like you go and need to play thirty eight games again. And you need to play on a Tuesday and a Saturday and a Tuesday and a Saturday. I wasn't ready for it. I, could, I couldn't do it. I would break down, um, definitely. And there's no... I don't sit here with any regret thinking, could I have got any more out of it? All I would have been doing is coming home and paying every day and getting back out to train and paying every day and taking painkillers. Um, and as I say, I couldn't go out and any better way that the, the, the fans uh, gave me that send-off. Yeah, that's completely understandable. And I get the body not working thing, because the uh, same thing with me and my vets team as well. I'm always on the bench for them, so... Uh, <laughs> that was your ability, though. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that probably comes into it as well, unfortunately. Um, so you hinted earlier in the podcast about sort of maybe getting back into football. So I guess sort of one of our final questions is, is what's the, I guess, immediate 
plan apart from you know working your way around the golf courses in scotland and eating morton's rolls and maybe longer term plans for, for yourself um short term nothing um I, a lot of people have said to me don't stay out the game too long um but i want to enjoy my family i want to go on a holiday um at half term i want to enjoy christmas i want to do things that i've never really had the opportunity to do because um, I know when you're in the game, you're in it forever. Uh, yeah. you, I mean, Roy Hodgson uh, probably wouldn't have thought that he would still be managing the Premier League at the age he is, but that's management, that's football, uh, that's what it takes you to. So I want to enjoy a bit of time away, and I'm happy starting at the bottom and try to work my way up as a coach. And if I fail, who cares? I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it my best um, when I want to go into it. But as I says, I'm not in any real rush right now to to start that process. As I'm very, I'm very um, methodical. I'm, I think about everything. Um, I won't be able to switch off. So this is why I want to give um, my family the, the the time that they have given me and all the sacrifice that they've they've done because everyone thinks that it's just you. It's literally a, a team effort. And when you are playing on a Thursday night and your wife's staying up with the kids all night, that, that's where um, people get, they don't get the credit they deserve. And, and my wife um, and my kids deserve me as a dad for a while. Yeah, that's beautifully, beautifully put. No, that's beautifully put. I've got two young kids, so I 100% understand that. And looking forward then into the future, maybe when you do start your, your journey, obviously Palace as a club do love a reunion with former players and certainly on the coaching staff. Could we be seeing you maybe returning to Palace or am I reading too much into that? Um, I would, listen, we don't know where, where the the future, what the future holds for any player, manager, person. You don't know what you're going to be doing in three-year time. So um, I would love to one day come back as as on a coaching uh, capacity. Preferably, like, I would rather be manager than, than coach. Uh, I, I do like to feel like I have a big influence on things. I would, I would rather have control of everything rather than as a coach and you say I think we should play uh three four three and you got told no we're playing four four two. Um so eventually my my long term goal um when I go into coaching would be um to be a manager one day. Fantastic. Right, I, all, all, I think all, all there is left to say is forever and a day if you get into your car and turn the radio on and it's just can't get enough by Depeche Mode. I hope a big smile comes on your face. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, been, um, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. It's been a fascinating walk down memory lane. And I'm sure I speak for most Palace fans. We wish you all the best for the future. We hope that our paths cross again at some point. But, um, yeah, thank you for everything you've done for the club. It's been, and, and thanks for coming on today. It's been an absolute joy. I hope you press record. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I did. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah, I did. And again. Thank you very much.
James MacArthur, what a guy. I mean, I had absolutely no worries that he wasn't going to be an absolute legend, and he was absolutely superb. Uh, once again, a reminder that this series is sponsored by Eternity Home Finance uh, for free consultation. Quote FYP when you email info at eternityhomefinance.com. Uh, Jack. So many good bits in that interview. I loved the bit of him talking about being strangled by Pearson on the touchline. That was pretty much my number one question. I'm glad we got to ask that. Uh, I enjoyed all the bits about him talking about sort of coaching players on the sideline during lockdown. Um, the bit about taking the mick out of Mateta, shouting boom in training. Um, just so much interesting insight from this guy. I feel like we're going to probably see more of him in the game. But I mean, I'm, I'm pleased that he's enjoying his time out. It's been a long time away from scotland and he's back up there sort of reconnecting with his roots and i think that's really important as well so yeah top top bloke what were your what were your favorite bits from this episode yeah it was lovely wasn't it i i, I enjoyed going back you know with these players with with or interviews you, you, you're talking retrospectively but i always like to go back to the start and, and ask them how they you know found joining palace and <clears throat> how the move came about and mac was really insightful about how that summer um at Wigan was and, and how the move came about so late in the transfer window. So I found that really interesting. And then, yeah, just his journeying through his career with us is, is just great. Talking about the lows of the FA Cup final and, and, and the difficulties of overcoming that disappointment. But then talking about his his kind of late, later years at Palace and, and now how he's looking beyond his playing career, I just found really interesting. And, and to hear from a player who is so, um, I guess, recent, um, you know, we previously spoken to someone like Clint Hill, who, in terms of his playing career and his time at Palace, is is now you know 13, 14 years ago. James MacArthur was you know a matter of months since he retired and, and left that current playing squad. So to hear him speaking about the the existing playing staff and the existing manager was was really nice as well. So lovely, lovely to spend time with him um, and and just wish him all all the best for the future. Really. Yeah, we don't, you don't, I mean, just the nature of fan media, you don't normally get sort of recent or current players. In fact, when Maka came on in 2018, he obviously was a current player, so that was a big coup for us then. And we've had Wardy on when he's been playing as well, and obviously Roy, who is obviously current manager in the last month. So we're very lucky actually to get access to these people. But yeah, normally you're going back a bit and talking about nostalgia from five, ten years ago. So to hear someone talking about, you know, Mark Gay, thinking Mark Gay, he's underrated by outside. And in fact, even since that interview to now, I'd say Gay's reputation outside of Palace has grown massively since the few games he's played for England. So even that can change. But you know, talking about Wilf and them texting in the summer, and it's all so recent. And I think that's 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 why it's so enjoyable. But I just I'd like you can see exactly why someone like James MacArthur is popular at a club. Mm-hmm. Very level-headed. He's the epitome of you don't get too high, you don't get too low, you just continue and crack on. I think that's why he's been able to have such a great career. And even the stuff about the injuries, you know, and and, and actually having the hip injury since or hip problems since Wigan. Yeah, these aren't things fans get to hear, but actually once you once you get the context of what goes on in their players' lives away from the training ground, a lot of the other stuff seems to make sense. And that's kind of the beauty of these. We had that with Roy. There's the beauty of these podcasts. You get more context. You get more story. People are able to sit and explain things for longer rather than a 10-minute post-match press conference. And I think you, you end up understanding the person uh, much more, you know, maybe even more so than the footballer. And I think that's the beauty of these episodes. And so we appreciate James for sort of delving into that. And it seemed like he enjoyed it. You know, it seemed like he enjoyed sort of going through his, his palace life and... Um, yeah. Well, we asked him. We asked him. We asked him for an hour, and I think we got a bit more than that out of him, didn't we? So, yeah. Um, great for his time, but he was very hungry by the time we um, we we finished recording, and he was quite happy and, and pleased to go down for dinner when uh, when we did say that we we finished the pod. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> footballers are human after all, as well. Uh, but yeah, lovely, 
Yeah. Apart from Harlan, Harlan doesn't need to wait. He just needs like a little bit of oil in the back. He just plugs in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plugs in, recharge. <laughs> plugs in and recharges. Uh, but no, really enjoyed that one. And um, yeah, I hope listeners enjoyed it. I, I don't know any Palace fan who has a bad word to say about James MacArthur. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of those players who just was appreciated for, for what he did, not just on the pitch, but I think a lot of people sense that he was a, a pivotal part of what happens off the pitch as well. Um, so I hope everyone that listens to that enjoyed it, got some insight from, from Macca that perhaps um, hadn't been offered previously. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as we said at the start, a gift from FYP to, to everyone who's, uh, who's just enjoyed that. We indeed, and we hope everyone has a great Christmas or whatever you celebrate or don't at this time of year. We hope you have a nice holidays at the same time. Um, we'll be back next month with another interview. Uh, we're planning to continue this series until the end of the season. Um, so if you're enjoying them, please let us know. You can drop us an email, info, no, contact at fypfanzine.uk or tweet us or message us on our social media. Share it with your mates. If you've got any mates who are Palace fans or um, or Wigan fans or Scotland fans, you know, share this episode and our other ones with them. Ham- and Hamilton Academic. And Aki's fans, sorry. And Aki's fans. Um, do share it because uh, I think these some of these episodes, same with the Roy one, I think some of them, they they span further than just Palace. I think a lot of the, the clubs they cover and all the information and stuff they talk about in the stories, I think is more than just Palace. So, um, And if you're like me, and I assume most of our listeners are, you're obsessed with anything football behind the scenes, anything in terms of footballers talking about their lives and, and routines and stuff. So hopefully this will be the same. Um, but yeah, massive thanks to Macca. Uh, and a big thanks to Eternity Home Finance, of course, for being our sponsors for this series. Delighted they're helping us out Uh, and thank you jeff thank you jim and we'll be back next month with another interview until then take care have a great holidays and we'll see you again in the new year goodbye Podcast Network.